Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Anish Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Chagpar is Associate Professor of Surgical Oncology and Director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Dr. Higgins is Professor of Therapeutic Radiology and of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences. And Dr. Gore is Director of Hematological Malignancies at Smilo and an expert on myelodysplastic syndromes. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can email your questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, it's a conversation about flu infections and cancer patients with Andrew Brannigan and Eamon Duffy. Andrew is a postdoctoral associate in hematology, and Eamon is a medical student at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Anise Chagpar. So maybe I'll start by both of you kind of telling me a little bit about yourselves and how you got involved in this field. Maybe, Andrew, we'll start with you. Sure. Thank you very much. So my interest in, in these types of cancers, which are multiple myeloma and other plasma cell disorders, really uh, has a long history even before medical school, where I came from Boston and worked at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And actually, my time there at a medical conference is when I first met Dr. Dadopgar, who's the chair of hematology here and one of the world experts in these types of diseases. And, and, and so really, that's what got me to go back to uh, school to become a physician. And currently, I'm, uh, I've finished my subspecialty training in medical oncology and hematology. But Yale has a very unique program where you can get a PhD in investigative medicine and really try to become uh, better at research. And that's what I'm doing right now. And so this project was part of this investigative studies yes, initiative. Exactly. And and so, Eamon, how do you fit into the picture? I mean, we can kind of figure out that this was part of, of Andrew's research, but for a medical student to get involved in this level of research, is that common or not common? Um, I think it's more common than you would think at a medical school. Yale is a, is a, is a special place and has what's called the, the Yale system, where they support and encourage medical students to get involved with medical research from day one. And so the Office of Student Research supports me going to funding, I mean, going to uh, to conferences, and, and they've really been great in every way. Um, I just met Andrew sort of randomly at the cafeteria. I was working in a flu lab in the summer between my first and second year of medical school, mentioned flu, and he told me about the trial. And then at the end of the summer, I reached out to him and said, hey, if you need a hand, I'd be happy to help out. And here we are, you know, almost two trials later, and it's been an incredible experience and a really wonderful way to complement my time in the classroom to be able to you know, learn about uh, these disorders and get lectured by people like Dr. Madhav Dadapkar and then go over into the clinic and see the patients and then over into the lab and process, you know, the samples. So to be able to see all aspects of a trial like this has been really a, a special experience. And so is, is it your interest uh, after medical school to pursue medical oncology and do kind of a clinical scholars uh, thing like Andrew? Um, I think I think we'll see. I'm in my third year, so rotating through all the different specialties. I'm on neurology right now, for example, which is wonderful. But I do have a special interest in hematology and oncology. I worked at Fox Chase Cancer Center before medical school and uh, was eager to get involved. I didn't expect it would turn into this, but... Uh, yeah, I think um, my dad's a hematologist, so it's in my blood, I guess I would say. 
All right. Well, Andrew, maybe back to you. You can tell us a little bit more about the project itself and the genesis for that project. Sure. So these types of cancers that we're talking about, multiple myeloma and other plasma cell disorders, they're really disorders of the immune system or cancers of the immune system itself. So one of the hallmarks of these diseases are risks of infections. And that's one of the major causes of death in these patients. So this is a this is really a, a huge problem in the diseases. First, this is something I noticed early on when my stepfather actually died of an infection shortly after being diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Mm. So one of the passions I've had is really trying to find ways to reduce infections in these patients. And um, so the flu itself is, uh, is we know, about 10 times more likely in myeloma patients, all viral infections such as the flu. And so it seemed like a good place to start. And um, And looking at prior research, we know that we recommend every year for myeloma patients to get a flu vaccine, but we know it, it, it probably isn't working that well because we still see so many infections. And um, uh, and so, so even though we, we tell myeloma patients, get your flu vaccine, we, these patients still get the flu. And why is that? I mean, is it that myeloma patients, they just don't have an immune system to mount against the flu and other infections? Right, exactly. So as I mentioned, that this is, can be considered cancers, cancers of the immune system themselves. These patients have low protective antibodies. So the good antibodies that all of us have to fight off infections are low in myeloma patients. And also just other dysfunctions in the immune system that we're trying to actually uh, explore in our, in our lab as well. And so what, what, what you can do to improve a response to the flu, there's, there's several or a flu vaccine, there's several different approaches, and a couple examples are increasing the dose of the flu vaccine itself, and another might be to use a booster strategy, as we see in other vaccines that we commonly get, and children vaccines in particular. So there is a higher-dose flu vaccine that has been approved since 2009 in older adults, and, and that's actually recommended to anybody who's 65 and older. And these types of cancers are actually cancers of, of the older age, so the, the, the average age is into the 70s of people with this cancer. So we know they're getting a higher dose anyway and still getting the flu. So this probably will have some benefit, but it also probably won't be enough. So we took the strategy of a of booster, which is adding an extra dose after a certain period of time, and generally at least three weeks later. So we chose to use a four-week period. And in terms of evidence to use boosters in this population, uh, somebody did look at boosting flu vaccine in blood cancers. They, they looked at all blood cancers, and this was several years ago, and it actually was not successful. So this was a, aborted for several years. But just recently, a couple years ago in Germany, a group gave a double standard flu vaccine to, and focused specifically on myeloma patients rather than just all blood cancer patients, and they did see a benefit. So the protective antibody levels that you can measure against a vaccine called HAI titers, they saw that double from about 15% to 30%. So that sort of told us that there might be something to that booster strategy. And so we took both of those concepts and combined them together by giving a high-dose flu vaccine and then after 30 days, a second high-dose flu vaccine. So, Eamon, you know, some people may be listening to this show and wondering, first of all, for the the vaccine itself, Mm -hmm. you know, there are we, we talk about vaccines that are live vaccines and and uh, vaccines that aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
do myeloma patients i mean if you're giving them a higher dose of a of a live vaccine couldn't that actually cause the flu in these patients um i don't think that the patients have to worry about this this vaccine causing the flu um, and I'll just interrupt. Still, We're using an inactivated yeah, this vaccine. this is an inactive vaccine. Right. So what that means is there's part of the surface of the, of the virus itself is a, a, a protein, and that protein has been purified and used to stimulate the immune system. So there's really not a risk of getting the so, flu. Yeah, because I think that that's a really important it, it's point. A great, it's a great point. Right? People mm-hmm. are going to be like, you know, when we think about vaccines, oftentimes people are told that these vaccines are live vaccines or they're, they're a smaller dose of whatever it is that we're vaccinating against, and that the idea is that your body mounts an immune system. So, so this is an inactive mm-hmm. uh, kind of form of the flu that, that people get. And, but, and even though we know that and we say that to our patients, it's a very common fear that they're still going to get the flu. Yeah. And in fact, we hear this over and over again. So the next question, though, is, you know, if we talk about myeloma being uh, a cancer of the immune system and that being the reason why people are more prone to infections because they simply can't mount an immune response, an immune attack, um, I'm still struggling with why you would think that giving a larger dose or a booster, is it that, you know, maybe they mount a baby uh, response and so two baby responses equals a normal response to a flu vaccine? Um, Because if they really can't mount any response, then it shouldn't matter how big the dose of that flu vaccine or how many boosters you give. Maybe they will always be prone because they don't have sufficient immune reactivity. It's true. It's a, it's a great point, and it's something that's still not quite fully known. But because of some of these prior studies that I showed you where we're getting incrementally better responses, it does show that there is somewhat of a response, and it's possible to augment that. But we do want to understand what are the exact dysfunctions in the immune response. So as part of these flu vaccine studies, we're actually collecting immune cells from the patients, and we're looking before and after vaccine and looking at the critical blood cells. Um, in particular, we're looking at T cells that work together with other cells to make an immune response. And we know that they're dysfunctional in myeloma, but we're really going to do some, some tests that haven't been done before in myeloma, specifically involving flu vaccine. So it might be the case that, that more is needed, and, and, and just a higher dose or extra doses isn't enough, and we need something else to boost that response, like live vaccine, as you were saying, or maybe something else called the adjuvants that can help augment and wake up the immune system a little more. And to that point, I mean, another idea might be, have you looked at whether there are some myeloma patients who have, you know, a particular kind of T-cell or a particular uh, kind of response in their T-cells such that they are the ones who are more likely to prompt an immune response to a vaccine, and for them, a vaccine would be beneficial, whereas others in whom there really isn't that kind of reserve uh, so that they don't make that response. I'm trying to get around some of the contradictory studies that you had mentioned earlier. Right. And those studies, again, were were focused at blood cancers in general. Very few people have focused studies on myeloma or other plasma cell disorders. That's why the studies we've been doing in the last couple of years, I think, are so crucial. We have larger numbers than have ever been studied specifically for flu vaccine. 
So we can do some of the exact things you mentioned where look at those patients who actually get the flu and what's different from those who don't get the flu. So we can actually have clinical endpoints because we have more patients, and that's what's been missing in prior studies. So let's talk more about uh, about the trial itself. Uh, so, Eamon, can you, can you kind of walk us through what, what the trial is, how you recruited patients, and what the randomizations were, and so on? Uh, sure. So patients were recruited from the Yale Cancer Center, and these are patients of uh, Madovs and Andrews and all of the hematologists there. And for the most part, they were really excited to get involved with a research project like this. Um, I did a fair number of the consents last year, and I was, you know, really encouraged by how willing so many of the patients were to get involved with research like this. So that was really wonderful to see and be able to explain to them that, um, you know, this is going to benefit you, but this is really a long-term mission of ours to improve vaccine strategies in patients with cancer. Um, so we took blood on day one um, from the patient, gave them that first vaccine, and then 30 days later, they came back. We took blood again. We gave them the booster vaccine on day 30. And then a month after that, they came back. We took blood once again, and then we were able to kind of measure the response throughout that several-month period, look at anti-flu titers and the T-cells that Andrew mentioned, and be able to really watch their, their response on a, on a molecular level. Mm -hmm. And also, we were constantly checking in with them to see really the end point that we care about is, are they getting the flu? That's right. the most important thing. Um, so we were in close contact with the patients. We know all their names, we know them well. So that's been a fun side to it as well, as getting to know all these people who are, who are on an important trial uh, with us. We're kind of all in it together. Um, so both seeing, do they get the flu? And, uh, and um, you know, that's kind of the main end point, I would say. And, well, and this was, and this last year was a pilot study. Since it was the first time this exact strategy was used in in patients like this, safety was really one of the biggest endpoints. Okay, so we're going to carry on this story and learn more about these trials about flu vaccine in myeloma patients right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information with my guests Andrew Brannigan and Eamon Duffy. The American Cancer Society estimates that over 1,500 people will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer in Connecticut alone this year. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable, and as a result, it's recommended that men and women over the age of 50 have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the one at Yale and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to test innovative new treatments for colorectal cancer. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve the management of the disease by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in a more patient-specific treatment. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I am joined tonight by my guests, Andrew Brannigan and Eamon Duffy. We're talking about some really cool research looking at flu vaccines in multiple myeloma patients. And right before the break, uh, Andrew, you were saying that this study uh, that you had done, I guess it was last year, uh, really was a pilot study to look at safety and titers. Um, could myeloma patients actually mount 
quote, a good immune response to the flu vaccine. And so what did you find? So 51 patients were enrolled in this pilot study. And in terms of safety, we found no unexpected serious events that were related to the vaccine. It was the usual side effects you get from a vaccine, which are mainly soreness at the arm you receive your vaccine, sometimes a little bit of tiredness and feeling unwell for for a short time after the vaccine. And that was the most important thing to us, to really show this was safe, because everybody got the intervention. It was a pilot study. What, what surprised us was actually how effective the strategy seemed to be. So I mentioned before that myeloma and other plasma cell disorder patients don't mount a very good immune response. We know that their serologic protection is in the order of 5 to 19% after a standard dose of flu vaccine. What we found is after a high dose, we saw 49% with wow. protective titers. And after the second high dose, that rose to 66%. So that was really the highest ever reported value um, specifically for these these types of patients. The other thing we, we, we did look at was the number of clinical infections. And we saw 6%. And that's lower than we would expect. We don't have great numbers of exactly how many to expect in, in the population. As I mentioned, that flu infections including all viruses, about 10 times more common. And it's probably in the order of 20% or more based on our experiences in the clinic. So, so, so 6% was, is also very exciting. But again, this was a small pilot study. And, and to really be sure if there's a clinical benefit, we thought we need a larger study to, to look at that specifically. And so, Eamon, is that what happened next? Yeah, so that was last year, as you mentioned. And this year, um, we've embarked on what's called Shivering 2, and that is a randomized clinical trial at the cancer center where um, one group of patients will receive our novel strategy, the high-dose flu vaccine followed by the booster, and then a second group of patients are the control arm, and they will receive standard of care. So if they're under 65, they received the normal flu vaccine that you and I get, and if they're over 65, they will receive the high-dose vaccine. Um, And so that started in September, and we're working daily on it now, and uh, it's been going really well, and we'll see you know, how it unfolds in the spring, but we're very hope- hopeful. So I, I have to ask you, how, how is it named Shivering 2? Uh, yeah, thanks. I was just going to say, we never actually told you the name of the study, which yeah. is one of the most exciting parts. Okay. So we came up with a shivering, which obviously when you get the flu and you could have the chills and shiver, that actually stands for the Study of High-Dose Influenza Vaccine Efficacy in Gammopathy Patients. So these types of patients have lots of names, plasma cell disorders, gammopathy patients, monoclonal gammopathy patients. And so that's, that's, that's sort of our creative way to uh, have everybody remember our trial. Good. I, you know, I was beginning to wonder whether I had missed the part where you put the patients in the ice box and they start <laughs> shivering. Um, so, so you've embarked on this randomized controlled trial. How's it going? It's going great. We, you know, we, we have now 125 patients on the study, which is really a lot more than than every other trial in the hematology department. So we really thank the patients for their interest. And it's open at all the different Smilo care centers throughout Connecticut, and they're actually actively involved. And half the patients are coming from sites other than, than the one at York Street where we work. And so how many patients are you targeting to enroll in this study? We, we were very happy to have over 100, which we've already had. The, the, the full target would be 150, so there's still room for 25 more patients. Um, most patients have already been vac- 
vaccinated because you, we do recommend that in the fall, and now we're getting into the winter. But this is a slow uh, start to the flu season this year. So there are some patients that haven't been vaccinated yet, and then they would still be eligible for the trial. So we do expect a few more to still join on. Okay. And so, Eamon, what are the, the kind of endpoints of this trial? Is it still the same thing? Are you looking at titers before and after each dose of vaccine and, and still checking in with patients as to whether or not they got the flu? Yeah. So the the primary endpoint of, of shivering one, as we called it, as Andrew mentioned, was safety. And now that you know, we feel that that has been addressed. Shivering, tr- shivering two is really looking at um, both clinical outcomes. It does this really decrease the number of patients who get the flu, and then those similar, more molecular outcomes we're studying in parallel. So those outcomes are the same. Um, but as I mentioned, shivering one was primarily safety, and shivering two um, is really does our new approach work? And with this number of patients and it being randomized and kind of the control versus the experimental arm, that allows us to compare um, our strategy directly with the control strategy. And, uh, and as I mentioned, we're very hopeful. So I'd imagine that you don't have results as yet until you reach your target accrual. Um, any hints as to, A, whether you think you see a difference? Is the trial blinded? Um, and B, uh, when do you think these results should be expected? So great question. That's one of the things we love about focusing on the flu is we get an answer in a short time right. because flu seasons are less than a year. So after a year, we definitely will have the results. But this is a double-blinded study. So both we don't know which intervention the patients got and the patients don't know. And one way we, we controlled for this blinding is if you obviously, if you had one flu shot, you'd know you were in the control arm. So people in the control arm got a, a placebo saline booster. Mm. So really nobody knows who got which intervention. So we have no idea uh, this season how it's looking. The complicating factor is that it's been a slow flu season. And there's not a lot of background of flu. Last year was a very bad flu season, and there was a lot of flu. And so the fact that this strategy worked in a, in, with a background of a lot of flu was very exciting. This year, I hope that that's not a, too much of a challenge in interpreting the results. Yeah, so this year, if you get results that show that the two strategies are equivalent um, because the background of flu is so low, uh, does that mean that you'll embark upon another randomized shivering three, which is essentially shivering two and hoping that the next flu season is worse? Well, I think it's too early to say, but that that that's, uh, we'll have to see at the end of the year what the results point to. Okay. And I, and I do want to really thank all the people involved in this research because, as I mentioned, this is a very high-accruing trial. Lots of efforts went into the design, especially Dr. Dadopgar, you know, working with us and planning the trial. And the patients themselves, it's amazing that they actually drive great distances, some of them, to be on this trial. Some came to, to Yale just for the trial, actually, and live in other states. And uh, really, uh, the Cancer Center itself sponsored the trial. So in the Cancer Center uh, Clinical Trials Group, Dr. Hoxter and Dr. Ader were really supportive in getting this to be a sponsored trial of the Cancer Center, which we really appreciate. And there's a whole team of research coordinators led by Stephanie Ladd that have been excellent in, in keeping track of all the data points for so many patients. And we really thank all the clinicians for putting people on trial, the physicians, nurses, and even the statisticians, um, 
and, and research pharmacists involved in the trial. Yeah, you know, clinical trials always are a, a really big group effort. One of the questions that I have for these last 25 patients, because there may be people who are listening who think, you know, I, I've got myeloma um, and I don't want to get the flu. And this seems like a, a pretty sensible a low risk uh, a kind of trial to to participate in. Do patients need to come down to New Haven to participate, or can they participate at one of the other care centers in Torrington or Orange or wherever it might be? Well, that's a great point. They can go to any Smilo care center. Uh, in fact, like I said, half the patients so far have come from other sites. And it's not just myeloma. We did focus a little bit on myeloma because that's the most common of these types of disorders. But even the pre-malignant condition, monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance, MGUS, which is quite common in the community, even patients with MGUS are, are uh, open for the trial and, can, and could enroll if they were interested. So uh, so let's suppose you get the results, and let's suppose you know later this year, uh, the results come out. A great Yale trial finds that there's a great new strategy to reduce flu uh, in patients with uh, MGUS or or with myeloma uh, by having this booster high dose strategy. Um, what happens then? I mean, uh, clearly you'll publish your results, and hopefully this will uh, then spawn kind of a national or international response. Um, so a few questions, Eamon. Uh, do you think that uh, there would need to be a multi-center trial to validate these uh, after uh, the results of a positive trial here? Um, and the next question is, you know, are there other other questions that remain unanswered that you'd need to or would want to look at after this? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if our results hold, hopefully this will become standard of care um, and that we have enough patients where, where it should be. That being said, um, a multi-center trial throughout the country um, will hopefully continue to prove what we've shown here at the Yale Cancer Center. But as you mentioned, I think there are a lot of outstanding questions that we still hope to pursue um, with regard to vaccine strategies in patients with cancer. One of the additional layers of this trial that I find to be particularly interesting is that myeloma patients are constantly getting um, chemotherapies. They're on a lot of different medications, um, and some of those medications can... can uh, kind of tamper down the immune system, and we're trying to build that up with a vaccine. So what we're also looking at is maybe there's timing with when you should be getting this vaccine mm -hmm. and when you should be getting chemotherapy. And those are just some other questions that we're right, looking or at. Or which therapy. Or which and therapy. Maybe some maybe. of the newer therapies for myeloma might actually boost the immune response yeah, in the so-called exactly. immunomodulatory therapies. Mm -hmm. And so with those immunomodulatory therapies, now that you bring that up, I mean, uh, do you think that maybe in those patients who are getting immune therapies that are boosting their immune system, that actually the, the revised strategy of high-dose uh, vaccines and multiple boosters might not be needed in those patients? So... Nobody's looked at this formally in a large trial with myeloma. So, some people have postulated that immunomodulators could help immune response to other vaccines. Mm -hmm. And it's it's been somewhat disappointing as a whole in the field. So I don't think that that's going to be quite enough. But there might be some component of, of uh, potential benefit from immunomodulatory drugs. That's why I'm so excited we have so many patients and we can actually look at 
endpoints like like what type of therapy and what's the timing of the therapy. So are the patients who are on the trial all currently being treated or are these patients who have been in remission and uh, aren't on, on current therapies now? Right. It's a whole mix of patients. Most patients are actively being treated and have clinical disease, but some are, have, have pre- malignant disease, like I mentioned, MGUS or asymptomatic myeloma, for instance. So we really wanted to look at everybody since there are, there, there is evidence that even, even the pre-malignant states have some immune dysfunction. So we really wanted to see if this is applicable to all sorts of patients. Right. So you might be able to pick up some signal uh, looking at that wide array of patients to see who's on immunotherapies, who's on standard chemotherapy, who's been in remission, and whether the responses are different in each of these cohorts. I guess the next question is, you know, for does this have applicability for other patients and other patients with cancer? Because as you say, Eamon, you know, a lot of patients, whether they've got breast cancer or colon cancer or or lung cancer, are on chemotherapy um, for at least a portion of the time. Um, and that, you know, knocks your immune system down a little bit. And should those patients be getting a revised or a different strategy in terms of flu vaccine? That's a that's a dead on question, and in in fact, I just want to sort of highlight the fact that that infections are a problem for all cancer patients. The American Cancer Society did a, a very nice study um, in 2005 and looked around the country at patients with cancer who were hospitalized from the flu and found that nine percent of those patients died from the flu. So we know mortality is higher. So complications from the flu are higher in all types of cancer patients. So we chose to, to first study plasma cell disorder patients because we think that the risk is the highest. But if, if we do see a benefit to the strategy in these patients, it is worth exploring in other conditions and other types of cancers, definitely. Andrew Brannigan is a postdoctoral associate in hematology, and Eamon Duffy is a medical student at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.